0: March 20, 1999, and I'm in a Calgary restaurant called Joey Tomatoes. The Islanders are on a Western Canadian trip. It's incredible to think now that Zdeno Charo was on that team back then. Their players were eating there too, a lot of them were, and they're looking at me. You've heard of salary dumps, but that's nothing compared to what the Islanders were doing around 1999. The background is that we had an ownership group, guys named Milstein and Gluckstern. They failed to get a new arena and real estate deal, and the Nassau County executive called them pigs the trough. So now the owners are like Harry at the prom. They slash every budget, exact revenge. They moved the staff out of the Coliseum and into Manhattan. Think about this, everybody. You work for a team called the New York Islanders with a map of Long Island on your jerseys, and you have to commute into the city. To be fair, I got to work in Jericho, but that's another story. We were the only team in major men's professional sports that year traveling on commercial flights. One of my jobs was to get to the airport early and convince the airline to give us the best possible seats, like the emergency row exits, because we had the biggest team in the league. We weren't very good, but we had the biggest team in the league with Eric Cairns and Big Z. That was fun. Everyone freaked out that our payroll was cut down to 15 million, but the fact is, the owners asked Milbury, Mike Milbury, to present what the roster would look like at 10 million and 5 million. Milbury had to fight to keep it at 15. This led to Ziggy Palfey being traded, but only after the owners tried to hold him for ransom with the Rangers and Madison Square Guard. So back to Calgary. Earlier, Scott Lachance was traded for a pick. The night before our day off in Calgary, Chris Lawongo was sold to Ottawa. I knew deals were coming, but tried to get in a quick dinner. No chance. So I'm at Joey Tomatoes, and Ted Donato is told he's going to Ottawa. I'm asked to tell Tommy Salo at the restaurant to call Milbury. Tommy drives to Edmonton to join the Oilers that night. The guy I had the most laughs with that season was Robert Reichel. He found his game with the Islanders. He had a great Olympics. He loved it here. Then Millberry calls me again. I walk over to Reichel's table at Joey Tomatoes. He's saying, no, 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 Chris, come on. I don't want to go. That was a dark, dark time. The next time Teddy Donato was back at the Coliseum with Otto, he actually said to me, hey, bots, how are things at Shawshank? Yesterday on Twitter, we got a question from Rich F., He was asking about the craziness of the Milstein-Gluckstern era. While I'm hesitant sometimes to talk too much about the past, I realize some people don't appreciate how far the Islanders have come in the last few years and others who truly don't know the depths of despair the franchise was in and what the fans endured. It's important to understand history, to have some, some perspective. So as we enjoy the opening of the new arena, in the early stages of this Islander season with great expectations. I hope you understand, while I always decline to party like it's 1999, there's some perspective for you.
1: This is Islanders 4 Check, a bonus series of the Hockey Press Pass podcast, brought to you in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, Long Island. Unplug your game, buy board games, play board games, food and drink, fun, and friends. So alongside Chris Botta, I'm, of course, Pat Boyle. And uh, Chris, first uh, six-game road trip is over. It it feels like an eternity since the Isles have last played. We've got to wait all the way until uh, Saturday here against Nashville. But through the first uh, couple of games here, I know we made our predictions for this first 13-game lengthy road trip. Um, I don't remember exactly what the point totals we selected. Do Do you have that on hand?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I was aggressive. I had 8-4-1 and one, uh, for 17 points, and then you had, I think, one point below me. So they're not exactly on target, but they certainly recovered after those two losses in Carolina and Florida.
1: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, you know, you look back at those two losses to Carolina and Florida, well, as fate would have it, those two teams are, you know, only a combined 12-0 and 0. Oh. <laughs> they have yet to lose. Yeah. So if oh, you yeah. you want to pick two teams, two of the best teams in the NHL who are undefeated, you know that that's a good a good measuring stick so far for the Islanders as to where they stand. Um, and oh, since that's... then, you know they've kind of slowly but surely found it. I think that game against Columbus that was one that they that really kind of stung. You know, ninety percent of the times it's the Islanders getting outshot and playing defense first and making the most of their opportunities. They outshot outshot Columbus in that game, and they end up losing in overtime. But then, of course, the story of the last week has been Ilya Sorokin, back-to-back shutouts. He's been an absolute—you know, we talk about the Berlin Wall falling to end the Soviet Union. He, well, How about the the Russian Wall of Ilya Sorokin? He has been unstoppable, and he just looks—I mean, he looks like a guy that has played—forget 27 NHL games. He looks like a guy that has played 270 NHL games. That's how poised he looks and that's what you hear about everybody from Bailey to Trotz to everybody else. I mean, he has he's been sensational the last two games, and and spots where they needed it too.
0: Yeah, he you know he's capable of the spectacular save, but he also does bring a certain amount of poise with him. So you know he saved the day uh, certainly in Vegas, Phoenix. You know that's a winnable game. The funny thing about this about this these first six games, and it was a six game road trip, right, all, all at once, and now they're home. Is that. They the games kind of went to chalk, right? Like the games that they lost would have been the games that like I would not have put money on. I wouldn't necessarily put it down on the other teams either. But those are two good teams on the road. That doesn't excuse it. It certainly sends up a justifiable red flag about, you know, where this team needs to get better and the holes that they have. But it's early. Right. So, you know, three, two and one. Now they move on to Nashville and then after that Montreal. I believe those are two very winnable games for this team. So they're not so far off our very optimistic prediction for their start pat.
1: No, yeah, no, I know. I agree. I mean if you just go just by, you know, doing the numbers, you double it now from uh, you know, six more games, twelve games in, they'd have fourteen, which is uh, you know, kind of where I think we'd like them to be. And you could, you look at those opponents, you mentioned Nashville and Montreal, they're going to play Winnipeg, they'll play Minnesota. So they'll play, you know, really the teams that are kind of right in the middle of that Western conference. And then they get the devils a game that they should win nine times out of 10. And then right before the grand opening of UBS, how about uh, Tampa Bay and Florida back to back that'll, that'll be quite the uh, finish to this, you know, marathon road trip. Um, So I, you know, I see them kind of, probably playing 500 hockey against the teams in the West, you know, Nashville, Montreal, Winnipeg, Minnesota. I would probably expect hopefully two wins, um, if not two losses, hopefully one overtime loss. And then again, they, they've got to win that game against the Devils because the Devils are still very much so a team in rebuilding. They still have no clue who they want to be, their, their goaltender, whether it's Dawes or Redgwood or, or Baneer. So uh, they have a lot of work still left to do ahead of them. And, uh, and then you, you hope, I think, that you can split those games with Tampa Bay and uh, and Florida,
0: yeah, I think it's possible they could do better than that. At least in the short term, the the next pairing of games I'm really interested in seeing is the is the Winnipeg and Minnesota because those are back to back on a weekend. The, the The record under Trotz has been unbelievable for the Islanders on the second game of back to backs, uh, but those are two strong teams. Minnesota, exciting team to watch. So I'm just as a fan, I'm excited to watch that series. To me, that's the next test. I'm not here to write off Nashville and Montreal. Don't get me wrong. Montreal, if nothing else, they are due uh, for a win. They are due to try to put some things together. And the Islanders have sometimes struggled against their speed. That shouldn't be a problem now. But Winnipeg and Minnesota, very interesting back-to-backs to me. And then they have another stretch where they get to practice some more with just that game in New Jersey. In terms of, you know, recent news, and as we do these shows, we you know, we, we continue to get news coming in, in this case the day before, as opposed to the night of, uh, but the Islanders have re-signed uh, the grinder, the, the very, very tough guy, Ross Johnson, to a four-year contract extension. And, and, you know, I was curious, Pat, as to what you thought of that.
1: Yeah, you know, you look at a guy that has played that played in the first game of the year only because Matty Martin wasn't ready and hasn't touched the ice since, and it's easy, very easy to say what 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 the hell, where did this come from? You know, it, really, that's kind of fitting of Lou Lamorello, where things just kind of seem to fall out of the sky at the yeah. at the weirdest moments, and that's that's what happened with Johnson. The guy played in one game, he hasn't played since, and he gets a four year contract extension. But when you look at what this team is trying to accomplish. When you look at what this team is made of and what they're trying to be, I think this is perfect. You know, it's an average annual value of just over a million a year. And Johnston fits the mold of everything this Islanders team aspires to be. You mentioned it. He's tough. He's gritty. He's exactly what this team is looking to do. He's the 13th man for them on offense. And, you know, again, you know, Barry said it, that fourth line, the identity line, they're physical. They're going to get nicked up. Guys are going to get hurt from time to time. That gives Johnston a chance to come in there with fresh legs, fresh skates, and, you know, plug the holes of whoever might be hurt, or whether it be the fourth line or any other line. Again, because if somebody is hurt, he's probably the next one up that's jumping in there and, and, and dressing up and skating. So, look, it's, it's, good on a, it's a good contract. It, it's a team-friendly contract. He wants to be there. He loves the identity and everything that the Islanders have built. I don't see anything wrong with this contract extension at all.
0: That's well put, Pat. The, the, the way I see it, this is a company man signing, and I mean that in, you know, in the highest uh, sense of praise. You know, Every team can have a few of these. Somebody who they who maybe doesn't get to play much, or we wonder from the outside about whether it be the intangibles or how important toughness is or being a strong fighter is in this era of, of the NHL, but... You know, they—they're not in the business of giving away money. They're not in the business of giving away salary cap space or four years to people. I—I think this is another one where I—you know—I am I welcome giving Lamorello and Trotz the benefit of the doubt. He's somebody who maybe he winds up replacing Johnson. That is, winds up replacing Matt Martin on the fourth line. So, you know, I don't think it needs a lot of um, analysis. I—I th- I saw it kind of smiled and said hey good for ross johnson right like this is a guy who i don't think people saw coming or saw being an nhl or having a, a one-way contract for four years you know the best take biggest takeaway for me here is good for ross johnson we should touch on Zdeno Chara. i was wondering your thoughts you know it, it kind of reminds me of z's Early years, like the reference nineteen ninety nine, a season off the top, where he's he's so noticeable because he's so big. So when he's struggling, as he did in his first couple of years, as he is now, we're all going to notice it more than I think we would uh, other players. Uh, but I was wondering your take. I, I'll just just to cut to the chase on me, I'm not ready to write this guy off. Uh, I'm seeing it out there a lot. I, I you know again, uh, you know this is early. I'm ready to give this time, but I'm wondering about your concern
1: level. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad you, you kind of went first because, you know, you're somebody that watched Chara skate over 200 games, thousands of minutes for the Islanders when, his, when he first began. And, you know, I'm somebody that's uh, kind of used to only seeing Zidane Chara rip 100-mile-an-hour top-shelf snipes and, and, you know, just absolutely demolish guys into the board. So to see him struggle like this in the early going, it's, it's kind of weird. Uh, but, again, you realize he's – He's into his 40s. He's been into his 40s. Like, father time is undefeated. You know, those legs are, they don't have as much juice in him as they used to. He's hes not as lively as he used to be. And, uh, yeah, you know, you—you you, we have seen some mental mistakes, you know, failing to kind of get into the dirty areas, which is something that Barry Trotz obviously hates anytime you see that. And, you know, just kind of looking like, uh, you know, foggy a, a bit at times. I don't know. It just, it's it's not the Zidane O'Chara that I remember seeing. But again, you mentioned it. It is early. We are seven games into the season. Um, I think you would hope that he can adjust to the system and adjust to the defense and adjust to playing with Scotty Mayfield or Pulak or whoever he's matched up with on the ice at any given moment. And, uh, you know, just kind of just do what he does best. And that's be a big physical force. And that's when the puck is given to him on a one timer or with space that he can put something on net with a lot of pace. So again, I'm I, I think it is too early to write him off. That being said, he he has looked bad.
0: He he has at times. I, I want to see what these next few week spring uh you know i think ultimately no no, listen ultimately it's a management and coaching decision in terms of how much he gets to play but the char that i think that i know as a person he's also going to be honest about his own failings he's going to work really hard to fix those or see if he can and perhaps if it comes to it and it's if it's decided that whether it's this system or you know that he doesn't fit in well with uh, this team style of play or that frankly he, he may not have it anymore i believe he'll be honest about that so this now becomes really an interesting kind of personal story as well too and the islanders have gotten by despite his struggle. So I it's a, to me, it's a fascinating story uh, to continue to follow. The last uh, item in this first half of the show that I want to go to before we go to break is just the return of Semyon Varmalov. Barry Trotz made some very interesting comments on Wednesday afternoon in his press briefing uh, about, you know, almost it sounded like he was warning everybody or or just suggesting to everybody the fans and the media that whenever valoff plays his first game that's the starting point in other words like he's still kind of in training camp here so he doesn't you know we should not expect him to hit his groove or to be peak varley right from the start now i appreciate Trot's almost wanting to keep the bar to, at a fair level uh, for uh, for varley but um I thought that was eye-opening to me. That he said, "Hey, you know, that was my takeaway from the Trot's comments. That that listen, when he starts, he's not going to the minors. He's going to play for us, and you know, it's a starting point. In other words, don't don't you know, keep your expectations reasonable." Your take, Pat?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, this is a guy who got votes for the Vezina Trophy last year. He was one of the best goaltenders in the entire league. So, I mean, that that being said. He is going to be a little rusty, and Trotz admitted that. I mean, you know, we can't expect Varley to step on the ice and post a shutout in the first game. And and also because Sorokin's been so great, you want to see how long he can kind of keep this groove going. Now, that being said, we look at the back-to-back that they've got on November 6th and the 7th, Winnipeg and Minnesota. Varlamo's going going to be in the net for one of those. If not before then, I would assume they're going to stick with uh, Ilya for this game uh, coming up against Nashville and probably against Montreal. But we're absolutely going to see Varlamov either against Winnipeg or Minnesota. And then we're probably going to see him another two, uh, one or two times before they come home and play Calgary. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be about working him back in in a timely manner and, you know, letting him get his legs under him and, and, and shake any rust off that is, uh, that is obviously going to be there. Um, and then again, it's, you know, the kind of the way they managed them uh, last year, going by a week-to-two-week week basis. That's what Trot said. You know, we're not looking at the big picture. We're looking at these guys, our tandem, our 1A and 1B, in a one-to-two-week frame, who's going to start which game a week out. That's as far as we're going. And, you know, granted they both stay healthy, this is still the best goaltending tandem in the entire NHL. I stand by that. And if, And if Sorokin continues to play like he has the last two games – I mean, we could be looking at a 50-50 split because they're that damn good. You you actually
0: raise a great point. I just assumed that Varlamov would start uh, one of the next two games. But, right, you're not going to start him against Nashville when Sorokin's coming off two shutouts. And then if he wins that one, how do you not uh, going against Montreal? But I I wouldn't rule out Varlamov possibly starting the game in Montreal and then one in in those back to back So uh, that's the next thing that's worth watching.
1: All right, after a quick word from Chris about our sponsor, we will respond to your questions about all-time underrated Islanders. We'll take a look back at the 30th anniversary of the Pierre Turgeon pat LaFontaine trade and check in on the Optimism Meter this week for the 2021-2022 Islanders. This is Islanders 4Check on Hockey Press Pass. And we are
0: here presented by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. They have a huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to hot new releases, a library of over 400 board games for open play. Their staff helps you pick out games and shows you how to play. Find your crowd at one of their Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including a D&D after-school program offered both virtually and in person. This is a full-service cafe, food and drink, Coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game.
1: All right, welcome back to Islanders 4 Check here. Our bonus series of hockey press pass. It's Pat and Chris, and it is fan inbox time, Chris. And let's get right to it. First question comes from Uncle B from BK. And he says, pretty simply, two words, Darius Kasparitis
0: And I think he might be taking that from when I interviewed Ray Ferraro in our first ever episode. And I said that to Ray about his teammate, Darius. The thing I'll say about Darius kasparitis the man they called Kasper, is the word that comes to mind is distinctive. Uh, you know, we use the word unique a lot, uh, but sometimes that can be overused. Nobody played hockey. Like Darius Kasparaitis, as Ray Ferraro said, he you know he would he'd be a champion every year if there wasn't a puck in the game. He wasn't the most offensively skilled guy, although as he got further along in his career, uh, he he was a little bit better with the stick handling. But he was the most physical player you would ever see. He could still play now. He he checked clean, hard. He was relentless. Nobody was more committed to winning. When the Islanders first got him, he was a first-round draft pick. Uh, he was the definition of raw, and the same thing off the ice. He was a little bit of a wild man. He got in a few one-car accidents. Um, he had a lot of growing up to do. But when it came time to practice, when it t- t- came time to play in the games, the commitment was just off the chart. He's a guy who's a winner, and he was just great for the Islanders, and he was an integral part of the 1993 uh, playoff run. Uh, one of my all-time favorites to be around uh, because his energy just never, never stopped.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and uh, let's, let's go right to our next question here. Jason, or Jay, asks, uh, who is on your all-time underrated lineup for the Islanders?
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that, that Jason Jay uh, asked that. He's somebody I know. He's owned a uh, sneaker store in town called Extra Butter and managed it, uh, Rare Sneakers. And he's in that business and other businesses. Great Islander fan. Great guy. So thank you, Jay. And um, so we're going to do defensemen today. I'm going to do defensemen. I think we could break it up by position for future episodes of, of Islanders 4 Chat. And for defenders two come to mind, both Swedish players, one of somewhat more recent vintage when I worked for the team in the 90s, early 2000s, and that's Kenny Johnson. Now, Kenny Johnson was enormously regarded by Islander fans and really anybody who watched hockey in this town. In the NHL, I think the purists, I think the other coaches, he was somebody that people game-planned around. They would put the puck away from Kenny. But that said, he was not a annual all-star he was not somebody who was usually in very close to being in the norris conversation what a remarkable player you talk about poise we use that with sorokin this was a defender who would go back retrieve the puck make the smart plays the smart first pass what a beautiful player to watch I think that's not a word you usually use for an NHL defender but Kenny <laughs> Huntson was a beautiful player to watch and then the other my other defender is Stefan Pearson Stefan Pearson was on all four Islander Stanley Cup teams he was you know they had Dave Longeman who was a great defensive defenseman Kenny Morrow incredible in his own end coming joining the Islanders right from after winning gold in the, uh, with the Miracle on Ice team in nineteen eighty. But Stefan Pearson, like I think because he was in the shadow, and an enormous shadow, rightfully so of Dennis Pottman, one of the all time legends of the game, and Stefan being a quieter guy and not the captain, he certainly isn't somebody whose name you hear a lot when we talk about great players on great championship teams. But for me, Stefan Pearson, boy, uh, he was just a fantastic player. So, uh, you know, I'll throw out two early, early, like early year Islander favorites and Burt Marshall and Jerry Hart. These are guys who are, who are credited with helping teach the young islanders in the 70s become the great players as they got into the 80s and built the dynasty and i do want to just go through some of the fan picks as we said a lot of fans did point out uh kenny johnson uh Derek krall uh picked gordy lane and andrew mcdonald from recent vintage uh the mo you know picked kenny morrow and Kenny Johnson. There was also a Thomas Johnson who was a really, really good defender on some of the or Stanley Cup teams. Um, a guy named G or E picked Jack Hill, and I mean, I think a lot of cases fans are picking people that they really, really liked personally. I don't know if you would say these are all strong players, um, but it's nice to see. Actually, uh, somebody did pick Bert Marshall and Jerry Hart and Dave Longer and Dave Sepperson. Uh, picked uh, Darius Kasparaitis, Roman Hamelick, Radic Martinek, actually a really great, great choice, Raddock Martinek. Um, so I so I know Stan Fischler had some picks. I'll see if I can find him. Rob Taub on D, he picked uh, a coin, Adrian a coin, Mark Streit, Kenny Janssen, Ken Morrow, and Adam Pellick. So uh, all good picks, no no question about it. Uh, the legendary maven, Stan Fischler said, Kenny Janssen for sure. Uh, And that's who he had for his defender. So Kenny Johnson definitely got a lot of the votes from the fans. Adrian Accoigne did too, the younger ones. The older ones uh, did go with uh, more of the guys like Stefan Pearson. So we really thank all the fans for all the great picks.
1: Yeah, Radek Martinek, that's a great one. That's when I first started watching Islanders hockey in like 2007. That was – you know, the like second year of his second stint. And I, uh, I always admired his grittiness and, and watching him play. So that, that is a great one. That's one where I kind of forg- you forget about him for a little bit. And then you hear his name and it, and it brings it right back. Uh, Chris, last question here. Uh, we mentioned it briefly before. It, is, it has been 30 years since the Pierre Turgeon, Pat LaFontaine trade. Your comments on that.
0: Well, I was with the team at the time. It was you know, early days for me with the team. And what I, what I think back on that trade, what's remarkable is that it was a trade that had to be made because Pat LaFontaine, the great Pat LaFontaine, wonderful citizen, uh, incredible player, Hall of Famer, uh, asked to be traded, and I nobody could blame him, anybody who was... There at the time, he had had a falling out with ownership. There was some a previous ownership, I should point out. There were broken promises. Uh, the agent certainly uh, set me straight at one point uh, when I was unclear as to what was going on there. So when you have to trade somebody, it makes it tougher to get full value. But what a job Bill Tory did. He got Pierre Turgeon. Who is a different kind of player, more of a playmaker? They wound up getting 50 goals one season uh, than Patty, but he also got a stud defender in Uwe Krupp. And another a second line forward, and Benoit Hogue, who Ray Ferraro in that first episode talked about how great it was to play with Benoit. So, uh, it's a remarkable trade in that. And I think that's probably the third time I've used that word in this episode. So I'll <laughs> refrain, but, but, um, but it's a remarkable trade in that. In that they got three pieces. They got the star to match La Fontaine, but they got two other pieces. And that trade absolutely led to the heroics of 1993, the Stanley Cup run, uh, getting into the Final Four, which until very recent vintage these last two years were the last really great moments in Islander history. So uh, 30 years, hard to believe. Last thing I will say is is Buffalo loved that trade too. Pat LaFontaine became a folk hero there, a, a star for them as well. Uh, and so it is a trade that neither team has any complaints with.
1: All righty. Awesome. So, great section of fan inbox questions right there. And, Chris, this is uh, probably something we're going to do most of the time when we do Islanders 4-check. Why don't we close it out with our current Islanders Stanley Cup optimism meter. Before the season started, I was at a 9. You were a little bit more conservative at a 6. Where are you at now here after seven games?
0: Well, I'm going to keep it at a 6 because, you know, we haven't learned – that much or we put it this way you know, there hasn't been such a standout thing other than the goaltending of Ilya Sorokin that would make me want to raise that my my hopes is that during this endless season of 82 games and more than 6 months that that number over time goes up but in the two weeks since we did the premier edition of War Check I'm going to keep it at my cautiously optimistic 6 knowing that there are areas of improvement to be made by the team but they are getting their number one goalie back if you can believe that to call number one when we're coming off two shutouts for the islanders uh but um i i like where that's at now i'd like to see how these next seven games go in, in the uh on the roads uh, on this road gathering of games uh and then and then reevaluate that number how about you pat
1: Yeah, I'm actually, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to take myself down, but just one, I'm going to stay at an eight because the first two games of the season, I was, I thought to myself, wow, what the hell is going on here? 11 goals given up in the first two games. So Roken obviously is not, uh, we need Varlamov back like in a hurry. And since then they've rattled off a 4-1 win, an overtime loss and two back-to-back shutouts. So this is the Islanders team that we we have come to know and love. Defense first. They've only given up four goals in the last four games. And again, I said at the beginning of the episode, we look back. Carolina and Florida undefeated. A combined 12-0-0. So those losses aren't bad. That being said, even though it's early, you stack yourself up against the teams that are the best in the NHL right now. And the Islanders stack up against Carolina and Florida. And they only have a, a three goal loss and a four goal loss to show for it. And in the first couple of games, it looked like if it wasn't going to be the first line, Maddie Anders and Brock scoring, it was going to be nobody. And then all of a sudden, Ollie Wallstrom blows everybody's nips off with three goals in two games. He breaks out. That third line has been fantastic with him and Pajot and Perise. Um, I still I still think there's a there's some mistakes obviously that they need to clean up, you know, Paul Mary on defense is terrible. Uh, it, or at least at times he just loses focus. The goal they gave up the second goal against Columbus where he kind of just lost Sillinger completely and he just, you know, he sees him skate right in front of him when he's the only guy on the back end of the ice and he lets him go right in unmarked on Sorokin. Like that stuff's got to get cleaned up, which I'm sure they will definitely do their damnedest to to do so. But, uh, again, Sorokin has been brilliant. Uh, you know, I think that goaltending tandem is exactly where we want it to be. If Varlamov stays healthy, we know how talented he is. I'm not questioning that. Um, I would like to see that second line uh, start to do a little bit more. And, and even Pulak and Pelican, you know, it seems like they've they've hit the post like four, four or five times already in the first couple of games. Uh, but, would, you know, definitely love to see them get into the goal department here. Uh, so, again, I'm going to take myself down to an eight but I'm still fairly confident that this team has everything it takes to get to the Stanley cup this year. And I, I can't wait to uh, see this next stretch of games. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. And, and then even after Nashville, they're off for another like five, six days before they head to the, uh, the Midwest. So I, uh, we can't get enough Islanders hockey once November hits.
0: Absolutely. Hey, look, it's still October. So I'm just as interested in seeing what some of these, you know, like I watched the flyers and, they won in Edmonton. Uh, some of these teams are getting better. Are they catching up to the Islanders and the Lightning? Uh, time will tell. So I'm, I'm just as interested. I, I believe the Islanders are going to have a great regular season when all is said and done. They will comfortably make the playoffs, and we'll see where they are. But, you know, are the Flyers better? Are the Rangers better? How much better now are Carolina and the Panthers, for example, so that's kind of stuff that I'm keeping a, an eye out. For well, yeah, and,
1: and remember, Chris, you know, last year you said it's only October. Last year, I think the Islanders uh, w- we won the Stanley Cup in November with that, <laughs> with that what was a 13 game winning streak. So uh, we hope hopefully they can catch fire again soon, and and you know, give everybody that feeling of hey, this team is Stanley Cup, you know, legit threats because that's what everybody was thinking in November of last season, and they, they maintained it throughout the rest of the year.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks, Pat, for this episode. I also want to thank the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington for their support of our show, and also a personal thanks to Lou Pellegrino uh, for his counsel on NYI 4Check.
1: Yep, and of course, thank you to the fans. As always, you guys are fantastic. The reception, each time we put out an episode, and, and the first time we did Islanders 4Check, it was great, so you guys are, are some of the best audience in the country. And, again, you know, rankings and charts, that's not everything. But the fact that, you know, we've been uh, inside the top ten a couple of times at some of the big uh, companies and big podcasting industries um, in the country and, and, you know, folks that have been talking about hockey for years, the fact that we're kind of standing toe-to-toe with a lot of them, uh, you know, speaks to how great the audience is. So we love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, stay tuned. For the next episode of Hockey Press Pass, Ian Mendez of The Athletic will be the next guest, and we've got some uh, tremendous guests coming up soon. We're going to be doing a bunch of recording over the next couple of weeks, and then, uh, of course, look out for the next bonus episode of Islanders 4 Check here for the big guy, Chris Botta. on am Pat Boyle. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and thank you to everybody involved. We can't wait to talk to you next time on Hockey Press Pass.